Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Morning, everybody. How we doing today? Man, you guys are, like every week I'm asking, and how we doing today? We, we are here in the house of the Lord. I know it's a school gymnasium, but we are here to worship Jesus. That's a, always a good day, right? Um, and uh, we're here to, to celebrate the goodness of his gospel. Uh, I love church planting. Um, it is one of my passions in life, uh, way, one of the ways that I invest my life, that the Lord has called me to invest my life. Now, when I say church planting, what I'm talking about is that in a specific location, uh, a man of God who feels called to plant a church and is supported by a team of people and uh, other churches who send them out uh, will go to a specific location and they will start sometimes with just a few people, sometimes with with uh, maybe a, a team of people, a new gospel presence, a new gospel witness in a city or in a location. And when churches are planted, that what we see is that the gospel takes root and people's lives are changed. We know this. We know from uh, studies that the most effective uh, uh, thing that we can do in the kingdom of God for the purpose of evangelism is the planting of new churches. And so to see a church just birthed in a location, uh, it is for me, it is something that I feel deeply called to. In fact, here's what I, I know that the Lord has called me to invest my life in. And I believe this is what I will invest my life in until I die or I'm not able. To love my family well, to pastor and be, be part of our team of elders that loves and leads this church in this city for this city. And the Lord planted us. We were, we were a church plant. If you don't know this, Genesis Church started with a, a, a four families who came here to Eureka for the purpose of seeing the gospel take, take um, shape and mold us. And, and so we came here 2006 and planted a church. And that's what Genesis Church became. Uh, and so to, to pastor and lead this church and then to invest my life in the planting of other churches, to pour my life into leaders. I get the opportunity often to spend time with young men who are feeling the sense of call, to, to see them uh, encouraged and equipped, to see them trained, to see them assessed. I've been part of assessing uh, uh, church planters and making sure they should do it. I've been part of leading them. Of, I, I have several coaching relationships. And so when I'm not here, one of the things that I invest my life in is church planting, is, is doing all I can to invest in young men, their teams, to see the gospel take root in other places. I teach church planting on a college level at Missouri Baptist University. And so I have the opportunity with college students and, and young, uh, you know, who are doing the graduate program, young people who feel like they're called to be pastors or children's ministry directors who are going through school to challenge them to consider church planting and train them up there. 
I love church planting. And the reason I love church planting is because I know that when a church is planted in a healthy, successful way, that the gospel will take root. And in that place, the city, the location, we can see gospel transformation in lives of people because of the planting of new churches. Now, I'm raising this this morning because what we have in Acts chapter 2 is the very first church plant. Uh, many scholars, many people who read Acts chapter 2 and read the story of Acts will tell us that Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is actually the birthday of the church. The mother church, the first church, is born in Acts chapter 2. In fact, we can all sing, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, happy birthday church in Jerusalem. The, the church, the movement that reaches all the way to us was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, this series, we're calling it To Be Continued. We're studying this beautiful book that is a story in the book of Acts. And, and the reason we're titling it To Be Continued, first of all, is because on one level, it is the continuation of the story that was told by the same author, a man named Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. In other words, Acts is not a story in and of itself. It is a continuation of the things that Jesus already had done, and it is still the ministry of Jesus that is doing the events and acts. It is also the continuation of God's story told in all of Scripture. And as we will see as we keep going forward, that every story in Acts comes with an invitation. That there, are, there is a story being told, but it comes with an invitation, and that is an invitation for you and for me to join this story. That God is not done telling his story. That we get to be included and involved in that, and that as a church, we now are a community of faith that at one point in time, just like the church of Jerusalem, we were birthed, we were started, and we get to continue being this community of faith that is involved in God's mission here, and that you and I get to be a part of that. And that our fulfillment, our joy in life is deeply connected to God's purpose and plan for us and in us in the way we see ourselves involved and connected to this mission of God. And so Acts chapter 2 is the birthday of the church. Now, previously in Acts, we learned that Jesus told 120 people who were following him, who, who had been close to him and who had trusted in him, that they should go wait for this promised Holy Spirit. And so they go to this upper room in a home, in a house that is in the city of Jerusalem, the central city in the, 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 um, uh, the nation of Israel, the, the kind of both the political and religious capital center uh, of life for Jewish people. It is the place where um, the temple is. It is a place where Herod, uh, basically the king at that time, ruled in the Middle East from there. You had all kinds of political, but also all kinds of religious things. It is the seat of culture in that, that, that area of the world. And here is here are these people who know that Jesus rose again. They saw him. They were with Jesus for 40 days after Jesus died and rose again. And now they are just waiting. But on the day of Pentecost, this amazing day that is a festival, that, that the city is now filled with travelers from all over the world, Jewish people or those who had converted to Jew, Judaism who would become Jews either, they were Jews by birth or they were Jews by choice, 
they'd embraced the Jewish way of, of life, are now filling the city, but they're from all over the world, or the, 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 that part of the world, the Eastern, Middle Eastern, European, Northern Africa, from all over, had come to Jerusalem for this pilgrimage festival. And it, while this festival is going on in the city, here are these this 120 people up in this upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit, and then all at once, suddenly, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God falls on these people in this upper room. They, they, there is a mighty wind that fills the room that is heard by people in the city. There are tongues of fire that fall on them. They begin to speak in tongues, but what we find in this instance of speaking tongues is that the next thing that happens is you see these people spill into the city, and this 120 people in a, in a, in a crowd of multiplied thousands begin, with, as they are speaking in tongues, this crowd of multiplied thousands who speak all kinds of different languages are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their culture's language. And they are drawn and they are listening as, as the story of Jesus, the story of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is being proclaimed in their language. Meanwhile, those who were in the city looked at the apostles and went, or looked at this crowd of 120, these, these early followers of Jesus, and they just hear them. Now, you got to imagine this. We were talking about this in our community group this week. What would it be like to be there? And if we were English, like, imagine that happened here and everybody speaks English, but we were in a place where there were people from all over, all these other nations, and we saw these people who were from, like, you know, like, like from Washington, Missouri. Like, just simple country folk, and they're in downtown St. Louis, and next thing you know, they are speaking, and they're not speaking in English. Now, they don't know any foreign languages, but they're not speaking in English, and we went and we saw what was going on, and they're just speaking what to us is gibberish. What we would say is, man, they're off their rocker. What's wrong with them? Are, they, are these people drunk? And that's what happens in the story. That's what led up to this moment. And so they, some in the crowd start accusing these people who have spilled in the streets of being drunk. And what happens in this moment is that the apostle Peter steps up, finds a place where he is now central to the story, and the apostle Peter preaches the first Christian sermon. So, so what we have here in, in this moment is before this time, the people of God, the Jewish people of God, are descendants of this guy named Abraham, who in the Old Testament, God made a ton of promises to and said, listen, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Uh, Abraham at the time didn't have any children. And so there's a miracle baby that's born for God to keep his promises. And then God makes a ton of promises, but the promises begin with this nation, the descendants of Abraham. And the whole Old Testament, the people of God are, are, you, are, you are part of the people of God by birth. When, when you were born as a Jewish person, uh, if you were male, you would go through the rite of circumcision, and I won't go into details what that means. If you need help, look it up, all right? If, if your kids don't know, you have the conversation with them. I won't go any further than that, but that was the sign of what it meant to be Jewish. And if you became a proselyte, you became a, a Jew from a non-Jewish background heritage, you went through this whole rite this initiation that included going into a tent with this guy who's a moil who does the circumcision, right? 
Um, and, and so that whole story is you were either included by birth or you chose to join a national heritage-based entity of people. You embraced their religion, but you also embraced that I am no longer a Roman. I am no longer a, a, a Cretan. I am now Jewish. So you embrace as a member of the people of God, their heritage, their story, their background, all that sort of stuff. And now the, the city of Jerusalem is filled with these people who are, who are Jewish by birth or by choice. And this is who the people of God have been up till now. But what happens in Acts chapter 2 is that there is a change. As there is a new people that arises from these people. A new people from all over the world who hear the gospel. Right now they're all Jewish, but, but the fact that it's in tongues, that it's multicultural at the beginning, tells us where this is going. And the first church is born as the gospel goes out. Now, now I want you to imagine, uh, I have the opportunity to have Peter and the apostles. Now, I'm, I'm not overstating my bounds. I'm, I'm imagining, here's Peter and the apostles, and they take my church planting class. And, and this is before Pentecost. Imagine I'm teaching church planting before Pentecost. And I say, okay, how are we going to start this movement? What does it look like for us to start a churches? What advice would you give them? And, and I know churches out there that this is kind of where they go. It's all right. First of all, we got to think about how to gather a crowd. What can we do to gather a crowd? Man, we need like a really famous person or something big. Let's blow something up. That'll get a crowd, right? How do we gather a crowd? We, we got to get a crowd. And what happens is when they come, man, we got to make this experience really awesome for them. So what we need to do is we need to put together all these plans. So the first thing we need to buy is we need to buy a smoke machine, right? Because the spirit moves through a smoke machine. And, and, and we have to make sure that we have all these bells and whistles. We got to use all these pop culture references and all this sort of stuff. And we have to preach, like whoever preaches has to preach a relevant message that connects to the felt needs of the people. That, that's what we got to do. We need a really awesome band. By the way, the Lord over the years has given us a really awesome band. I am so amazed at our worship team every week. <clears throat> I went to, I, I took my kids a little confession. I would, took, took my girls this week to go see Journey and Toto. And I will tell you that the best band I've heard all week just left the stage. All right. <clears throat> we are so blessed here. But, man, you got to have a, a guitar player and all this sort of stuff. If you want to build a church, this is what you got to do. All these things. Like, and, and, man, we got to have really cool stuff for children. And, and man, if you really want to make it awesome, how about if we build, like, we're, we're in the process of building a church. So, of course, you got to have a big church building that's got really cool stuff. And it's got to have the perfect colors. And when you walk in, you got to feel like it's groovy and trendy, right? And what if we built a water slide that went into the baptistry? That'll do it, right? Now, you laugh. I know of a church that built a water slide into the baptistry. What, what happens so often is people are saying, what do we need to do to make Christianity relevant? And I'm not saying anything of those things are always bad. But what we begin with so often is you have to be cool, trendy. You have to have this, this certain aura of doing things. You have to have hip stuff. You have to make sure you preach in a way that is cool. And boy, the last thing you want to do is talk a lot about sin and, and repentance. I've literally seen books that said the church in America needs to stop talking about sin. It turns people off. And what we see here is like 
if that's what I'm training Peter and the apostles to do, by the way, I could never train them, they train us, but if, if, if we take our church planters and what we do is we say, here's what you have to do. You have to make sure you do it bigger, better. You have to be this super gifted person who has this unbelievable ability to preach and the only people God will use are the, the, the go-getters, the super entrepreneurial person. I, th- I think often when we go that route in our church discussion, we miss really what's central in the early church, central in the scripture. And here's the big problem. And this shows up. It shows up in my church planting classes. It shows up in every training I do. Uh, I've heard this. I, I didn't come up with this. I've heard this multiple times when other guys are speaking into the lot, my life as a pastor and the church planter. Listen, what you win people with is what you will win them to. If you win people with entertainment and being trendy and cool, when you no longer entertain them and you are no longer trendy and cool, because no matter how hard I try, as I get older and grayer, my kids think I'm a nerd. Think I'm a poindexter. Being trendy and cool, if you win them with that, eventually you're going to have to find ways to keep that going to keep people interested and engaged. This sermon is the least seeker-sensitive sermon you will ever find. Peter does not stand up and go, man, we got to keep these people engaged. we got to come up with a message that will help them you know, feel like we're stroking their ego and making them feel good about themselves. We need to speak to their felt needs. Peter stands up and he shows us the church is birth. The church is born out of the centrality of the gospel. There's the big idea for this sermon. That the church, the first church, the mother church, is born out of the centrality of the gospel. And therefore, for us to be authentically honoring of Christ, we too need to be a people that are gospel-centered people in a gospel-centered church. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, our goal is for you to build your whole life on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's how the first church was born. I hope it's how this church was born. And every church that I get to be a part of, I hope that we so instill in that church this idea that we have one message, we tell it over and over again, and we point people to Jesus, and that's all we have. Now, if that's where we start, it's it's fine to use creativity. It's fine to use videos. I don't think a smoke machine is inherently evil. It is okay to play music a little bit different than the church I grew up in. But, but if we become a band-centered or a gift preacher-centered or a trendy-centered or a small group-centered church, what, what we win people with is what we will win them to. And at the end of the day, what I want to do is I want to win people with the gospel. I want us to be gospel-centered people. So what happens in this story is that we see that. Peter stands up and he preaches. And what he does is he goes to three different texts of Scripture as he preaches from three different texts of Scripture. So it's a Bible-centered sermon. He preaches Christ. And he makes Christ known to this crowd. This crowd who, this is 50 days after Jesus died and rose again. It is so close. Most of these people know what took place in Jerusalem, right? They understand the stories that are spreading around that this dude that the Romans murdered and that the Jews convicted, 
this guy is alive and he's doing well. And that he's appeared, that the rumors are in the city. And what Peter does is he stands up and from the scriptures, he preaches Jesus. And when he preaches Jesus to this crowd, the outcome is glorious on day one, on the birthday of the church. We started like the the morning, by nine o'clock in the morning, 120 people, spirit-filled people, become the, the, the whole measure of God's new people. And by the end of the day, there are 3,000 people who've stepped into a, a, a pool and have been dunked in baptism, declaring themselves on day one of Christianity. We went from 120 people in a room to th- a church, a church that was born on this day of 3,120 people. And there's no way Peter and these people can pull that off. No church planning strategy is going to accomplish what happened here. It is something that God and God alone does, but he did it through the faithful preaching of these people of the gospel, the centrality of the gospel. And so that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what it means for you to have a gospel-centered life and for us to be a gospel-centered church today. And, And that we are, as a church, always involved in church planting so, so we as a church, we support multiple churches. We partner with multiple church plants. Ecuador, South St. Louis, North St. Louis County are, are three that we are like involved in right now. By the way, one of the things I will tell you is Good Friday. Mark your calendar on Good Friday. We are going to a church plant that we have helped plant that is in North St. Louis City. Actually, it's in Jennings, so it's North St. Louis County. And we're going to serve on Good Friday that church. We're going to go up there. I got to go up there with a group of our people from our community group this week and hang out with the pastor, Michael Bird. I love this guy. I love that we are part of a gospel-centered church there. And so, so this is who we want to be as a church, as a people. But it's also what I want for you as an individual. And so I, I just sharing a few things from this story. As Peter has preached Christ what do we see in the text and in the story that helps us understand what it means to be a gospel-centered people, a gospel-centered church, and for you to be a gospel-centered person? And the first thing is this. Gospel, to be gospel-centered is to be spirit-filled. To be gospel-centered is to be spirit-filled. What, what is going on here is that God has taken people who were unable, who were broken, who were failures, and now they have, God has chosen through their lives the, the wind, the power of the wind filling their sails to put them in front of a crowd of thousands and do something they could never do alone. Don't miss who's preaching. 50 days ago, from this story, not from today, 50 days ago, Peter looked at Jesus and said, if you die, I'm dying with you. And Jesus looked at Peter and, Peter and said, ain't going to happen, bro. You're going to fail miserably tonight. You are going to deny me multiple times. And then you're going to hear a, a rooster crow. And you're going to re- be reminded of the things I said, and it's going to crush you. And Peter said, nope, not going to happen. They go out. Jesus gets arrested. Peter follows at a distance will not get close. Jesus is standing trial, the point where our Lord needed the most support. He got none. All of his apostles abandon him with the exception of two who are in the courtyard. But Peter, as he's watching what is happening in the proceedings, somebody walks up and goes, hey, 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 you, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he goes, 
Man, I don't even know that dude. What are you talking about? I don't know Jesus. No, I'm not, I'm not part of his crew. Somebody else says, I, I, I saw him with you. I saw you with him. You, you are part of his, his dudes. Man, I, you're, you're nuts. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And this says a little later in the evening, a teenage girl walks up to him. It's like, I'm sure of this. I, I saw you. And here's what the text tells us. That, that is, the, the Gospels tell us that, that Peter cursed Christ. It, it means literally Peter looks in anger and says, I don't know that bleepity bleeping guy. Back off and leave me alone. And as he totally denies having anything to do with Jesus, he is cowering in fear. He's afraid of a, a middle school girl. And as he cowers in fear, he hears a rooster crow. His heart is crushed. And Jesus, at that, that very moment, is walked out of this building into this courtyard, catches eyes with Peter, and Peter feels the weight of his shame and guilt, his fear, his inability to stand even in this moment and say, yeah, I'm one of Jesus' guys. He promised he would. He fails miserably. It is this dude who on the day of Pentecost stands in front of a crowd of thousands of people and stands up and preaches Christ crucified and risen. He looks at them and goes, listen, he doesn't hold punches. I love it. He's going to show up multiple times in Acts. He looks at them and goes, y'all whack the Messiah. Like you guys, like God for a thousand years promised he was going to send his king. And he showed up and you, like you guys killed him. What in the world? What happened to Peter? How does this mealy mouth Weasel who denies Jesus turned into a gospel proclaiming life threatened, doesn't matter, preach the gospel to this crowd and the spirit falls on them person. What causes that? And the answer is Acts 2. The spirit fell on him, empowered him to preach and now he is a spirit-filled person. Listen, nothing we do, if it's, if it's human ability and power, let's just go home. What we need every week is this, the people of God is a fresh wind, fresh fire, the filling of the Spirit, the Spirit to do in us what we could never do on our own. I know what happens. We play these Who's Your One videos, and some of you go, that terrifies me. I, I don't know how I could ever have a conversation. I don't know how I could ever actually, you know, have that awkward moment that he talked about in the video. I just can't do it. Oh, but if you will... Lean in and trust the Spirit and ask the Spirit to fill you and empower you and seek the Spirit doing in you what you can't do on your own. Oh, He can. We need Spirit, the Spirit of God to be at work, to be filling us. We need to leave here knowing that the Holy Spirit has been with us and that He has worked in us. We need to be a Spirit-filled people. Gospel-centered people understand that their own power, their own ability, their own strength is insufficient, but Christ is enough. The Spirit will enable us. He is all we need. There, there is this bizarre story in Exodus. It, it happens after the golden calf. So you have this moment where the Jewish people, the, the first Hebrews, the 
They have been rescued from slavery by God and the whole beautiful story. The sea has been parted. God has, has delivered them from slavery and he has met with them. He gave them his 10 commandments on the tablets. And then their leader, Moses, goes back up to the top of the mountain. And while they're on top of the mountain, the, the whole Hebrew, like this people of God, are down in the valley breaking all 10 commandments at once. It's called the story of the golden calf. And Moses comes back down the mountain and is furious with them. He, they broke the Ten Commandments, so he breaks the tablets, showing them what they did. And then God says something to the people of God and to Moses that is crazy. He says, listen, I made all these promises. All these promises. Here's, here, here's the deal. I promised that I would give you a place. I would send you into the land, the, the promised land, that I would fight all your battles for you. I promised that I would make, make from Abraham a great nation. I promise all this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm already fed up with these people. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send an angel before you, and he's going to do all that. He's going to keep all, like the angel will go before you and keep all the promises so that you have victory, so that you have success, so that you have glory but I'm just not going with you. I'm just not, I'm, I'm not going with you. God said that to Moses and to the people of God. And Moses begins to plead. Now, I want you to think about this. I, like, I've wrestled, the, the reason this passage is so meaningful to me is because I have wrestled with this. What if in my ability and strength, I was such a great preacher that I could build a church? What if people would come because, man, I can preach? What if we got a band that was amazing and I wanted to hear them every week and I was just in awe? What if we got a smoke machine and it was cool and we had great lights and, man, all of a sudden everybody in Eureka was coming to Genesis? What if this huge thing happened and what if it was all done because God sent an angel, but he says, I'm gonna, Mike, I'm gonna give you a big church, the church of your dreams, I'm just not going to be there with you. Let me put it in you. What dreams do you have? What if God were to say to you, I will give you your dreams. You can, you can have all the success in your job. I'm going to make your marriage awesome. I'm going to make like just everything work for you. And you are going to be blessed beyond blessing. Just know this. I'm going to give you all that, all your dreams, all your hopes, all that you want. I'm just, it's going to happen without my presence in your life. Would you take that deal? And here's what Moses says. Moses says, I'm not leading the people anywhere if you don't go with me. Listen, I don't, want, I don't care if the church is four people. If I, I would rather have a church of four people with the Spirit of God than a church of thousands without him. Because I know me. If, I am, if I'm the primary leader of Genesis Church, I'm going to wreck my life and I'm going to run you into a ditch. You don't need me. What you do need is spirit-filled leaders, spirit-filled people, people who are knowing that if God doesn't do it, it ain't worth doing, and us leaning. This is why prayer is so important, that we are crying out to God to fill us with the Spirit and to send His Spirit among us. This is what happens on Pentecost. Spirit-filled people flood the street. A spirit-filled coward named Peter now preaches, and God works through spirit-filled people. Oh, that we would long for this. Oh, that we would know that if I lose everything but get the Spirit, that's enough. You know why this is hard here? We in America don't know what it looks like to truly be dependent on the Spirit of God because for the most part, we got it. We take care of ourselves. Oh, to long for only what the Spirit can do. 
Oh, to start saying things that the only explanation is it was the Spirit of God. They were Spirit-filled people. We need this too. Second thing. By the way, what happens is, that, is the, uh, they say, well, they're drunk. Peter stands up. The, the very first point of the Spirit is what you're seeing was promised in the Old Testament. Here's Joel the prophet who said one day the Spirit was going to fall on people, and they were going to speak in tongues. They were going to prophesy that it was going to fall on all people, not just a select few, and that the power of God. And Peter says, this is what you're seeing right in your midst. The, the, the result of the gospel of Jesus Christ is spirit-filled people, and you are watching that. To call this drunkenness is dangerous because this is a work of God. He goes on to preach what we see. The second thing we see about people who are, you know, being gospel-centered people, gospel-centered church, is that they are Bible-loving. They are Bible-loving people. It's amazing. you, you got to understand what happens here, okay? Um, I, I'll just let you know that when I stand up here and preach every week, I have spent hours in preparation. I'm called to do that. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just telling you that this is my calling here. And so I don't just show up on a Sunday morning with a Bible verse and go, hey, let's wing it. Here we go. But here's Peter, and Peter did not like spend 40 days preparing a sermon. The Holy Spirit falls on these people. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were just waiting. They spill into the streets, and now Peter is preaching. And I want you to notice that what flows out of his mouth with ease is the Bible. He preaches the scriptures. He shares the scriptures. Scriptures, the scriptures, the word of God is dripping from their mouth. And Peter actually runs to three passages. Now, he doesn't have his app where he can open it up. He, does, he isn't able to, to have a Bible that he was carrying around in his, his nice little Jesus packet with, you know, a cross on it and a big leather Bible that he carried around. He, 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 he just stands up, and what happens is, is that when Peter starts preaching, he preaches this Christ through the Scriptures. He runs to Joel. When's the last time anybody in here read Joel? Ah, we got one. Woo! He quotes from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He is a Bible guy. And, and what we see in this and every movement that is truly from God is that people who are truly experiencing gospel centrality begin to see the beauty and the, the glory and the weight of his word in the scriptures. That they run to the Bible. That the preaching of the church is primarily the proclamation of the word of God. That my goal up here each week is not to just to tell you what I think. It is to open the scriptures. I am just a conduit. The real message is in what we read. It's, you heard Kurt share with you earlier about how we open our service with scripture. That's from a value we have. That even our worship is always just a response to what God has already said. And the best way to remind us before we sing anything, before we pray anything, before we do anything else in our service, to begin the service by hearing the voice of God from the Scriptures. That, that we are Bible people, that Spirit-filled, Bible-loving people is what it means to be gospel-centered. And, and, and so what happens is that a lot of times in like these movements towards church, you hear this language that says, man, theology, it just... People have to think too much, and they don't want to go deep. And if you, if you go too deep as a pastor, you'll run people off. And, and we don't really need to go deep and really, like, just keep it simple. And you'll go to a lot of churches where um, they are just, like, 
using Bible verses as springboards and to say what they want to say and all this sort of stuff. Listen, this is not a work of Christ. It is a work of Christ when it is built on his word. When Christ is the one who's speaking. Uh, we are part of a Baptist fellowship. One of our, the documents that is um, like a, a statement of beliefs is called the Baptist Faith and Message. I want you to hear what the Baptist Faith and Message tells us about the Bible, the Scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true trust and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who himself who is himself the focus of divine revelation. That's from the Baptist faith and message on the scriptures. In other words, listen, look at this phrase. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. In other words, he's saying, listen, when we are a gospel-centered people, when you are a gospel-centered person, one of the things that's going to happen is that you are going to gain a love for the scriptures and you're going to begin to see that the more I understand God through the scriptures, the more I, I use the scriptures as the foundation for my life, the more that the spirit of God is going to work in my life to shape and mold me. We live in this era where there has never been more access to the Word of God and teaching about the Word of God than there ever has been. There are podcasts, there are apps, there, there is so many ways that we as the Christian church can integrate the Scriptures into our life. And so there is more access than ever. Meanwhile, study after study is showing that we have never had a time in the last couple hundred years where the, the biblical literacy of those who claim to be Christians was ever lower. And we wonder why the church is weak. It, it doesn't have strength. It, it, there's no power in the church. And the reason is because the word of God, the scriptures are so important. We see this in the text, that, that a gospel-centered people love the scriptures. They just love the scriptures. Do you love the scriptures? Do, do, do you open the scriptures and find time to read and meditate and interact with the scriptures? Gospel-centered people. We see, like, it's like you cut Peter and he bleeds scripture. It's just there, right? And that's what we need to be. Gospel-centered people, people who love scriptures. Third, they're Jesus preaching. So they're spirit-filled, gospel-centered people. We see this on Pentecost. This is how the church is born. Through a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, Bible-loving, Jesus-preaching people. So we have the scriptures. But what Peter does so well in this is he reminds us that all of scripture has as its intended goal to point us to Christ. He goes to Joel, this Old Testament prophet. He quotes Joel, and he says, hey, let me tell you what this Old Testament prophet was about. This Old Testament prophet was reminding us that Jesus was going to come into the world. He's going to save anybody who calls on his name. And when anybody calls on the name of Jesus, they are going to understand who Jesus is, uh, and they trust in him. God is going to fill those people now with his spirit. So Joel was about Jesus. 
Hey, let's talk about Psalms. Here's this great leader called David, named David. He was one of our great kings, and, and he was talking about his kingdom and, and the nature of his kingdom, but he realized that the promise was someday there would be this one king that would come, and David starts writing these Psalms thinking about not him as king, but this future king that was promised. Guess what that verse is about? It was about Jesus. It was about the gospel. It was about the good news, right? That Christ is the true king. He, he goes to this other passage that he talks about death. And he says, you know, you won't leave me in the grave. I won't, my bones and my body won't decay. And, and now Peter stands up and says, this couldn't have been about David. David said it. It couldn't have been about him. It had to be about somebody else because David is dead. David has a grave. At this point in time, he says, we know where David's tomb is. So when David said it and wrote it in the psalm, David couldn't have been talking about David, who wouldn't be left in the tomb, who wouldn't see his body decay. David couldn't. Who is the only person who died who didn't see decay? Guess what? That passage is about Jesus. This is what Peter's showing us, that the whole Bible is pointing us to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter preaches. He says, here's this king that has been promised. That king came. He lived among us. God proved through his miracles that this is who Jesus was. Like, you can read this. This is exactly what Peter's saying. God proved through his miracles that this is who Jesus was. And you guys killed him. But this was God's predetermined, predestined plan. These Jesus-loving people are understanding that, that God's purpose here in all of Scripture is to tell us the story of the gospel. What does it mean to be gospel-centered? It means everything about our lives is centered on the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because all of Scripture leads us to and flows from the gospel. Everything in the Bible is about the gospel. The story we have is the, it's all we have. The, the, what the gospel tells us, just, just some simple things here, is that we are guilty before God and we need redemption in, in one shape, way, shape, or form. He's looking at this cry and said, said, your sin led you to crucify Jesus. And what I can do is I can sit here 2,000 years later and go, man, I didn't, I didn't carry a hammer. I didn't have nails. I wasn't there. But listen, in, in, in another way, we all are involved through our own sinfulness and setting up ourselves as ultimate in our lives of the crucifixion of Jesus. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson uh, directed it. And, and he's not in the movie with one exception. Mel Gibson's only, if you're familiar with the movie that tells the story of the crucifixion of Christ, it's, a, it's a, maybe an Easter season watch. It's really hard, but it's very accurate to what probably happened on that Good Friday. Mel Gibson makes one appearance. All you see is his hand holding the hammer that drove the nail into the rest of Jesus. It was Mel Gibson's way of looking even at this text and go, listen, I, 
I'm responsible. My sin left me there. Our guilt is great. But the gospel says that the very thing that happened, you killed the Messiah, that was God's intended plan to solve the problem you were demonstrating through your sinfulness on that day. This is not a simple, easy message. It's a strong, you are in dire straits. You, you committed the big one, but God has already formed the plan. And so he, he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what the gospel is. Here's the good news. We have week after week after week. It is this simple. The good news is this, that no matter what your problem, what your struggle, what your hurt, what your pain, that God has brought the solution through the good news of Jesus Christ being born into this world, that God became one of us. He lived the life I should have lived. He was a, a miracle worker demonstrating who he was that he ended up sideways with the religious leaders uh, of Israel and the Roman government who crucified him on a cross. But that plan, that, that day, Good Friday, the greatest evil that's ever happened in humanity was part of God's foreordained plan. That God from the beginning, before we even sinned, had the solution for our sin worked out. And Christ came and he died for you. He died on the cross for your sins. Three days later, he arose, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And so David's in his grave. Jesus is not. Listen, this is 50 days after. If Jesus still had a tomb, they could have found it that day. The reason nobody can re rebuke Peter preaching is because he just said, there's an empty tomb. And nobody can stand up and say, no, there's not. He's alive. He was alive that day. Jesus is still alive. And the gospel is the good news. It's the only message. We, like, I don't have anything else for you. The only thing we have here is Jesus. And we're just going to offer it week after week after week. To those of you who don't know Jesus, who are on a spiritual journey, we just want you to look to Jesus. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to see whatever you're going through, the hope is in Jesus. If, if you are a follower of Jesus... Every week, we're just going to remind you that your struggle and your, your hope in life comes through the gospel. Because the gospel is like, it's like a multifaceted diamond. This giant, imagine this giant diamond and you're holding it and you have one diamond in your hand. But everywhere you turn it, everywhere you look at this diamond, you see new colors and new sparkles and new images. And the more I study it and understand diamonds, the more beauty I will see every time I look at this one diamond. It would never get old because you'd never look at it and always see the same thing. That the gospel is this multifaceted, beautiful diamond that has so many different angles, even though it is one simple story. Listen, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the hope for all people. It is the hope for all people. I don't care who you are today. Whether you grew up in church or didn't grow up in church, whether you're struggling, whether, whether you feel far from God or you feel deeply connected to him, the gospel of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is your hope today. It is the answer to all questions. Now, I, I know what my son's already over here thinking. He's got a math equation in his mind. 3x times 4y equals z, you know, whatever it is, you know. You're like, I got you, Mike. It's not the answer to a math question. Well, I would love to have a cup of coffee and show you how Jesus actually is the answer to the math question. Not necessarily the equation itself, but I will tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the absolute best explanation for why math works because there is a God who created an ordered universe and Christ is proof that he is God. So even math, he's the answer. But he, 
He's the answer. So, so imagine we're preaching Christ and, and, and we're talking to you come in here and you are that guilty person. You were there. You yelled crucify him. You, you were the one who was there overseeing the death of Jesus and the guilt and shame is all over you. The gospel says that Jesus Christ is your justification. Now, you go to a good church who wants to preach good, sweet little messages, they will tell you, listen, you are better than that. Just work harder and, and you can offset your sin. You can, you can become a better you. You can grow in your strength. You can overcome any struggle in any addiction in your life. You can do it. And the gospel looks at you and says, we have a better message. Christ died for your sin. You are forgiven. Your guilt and shame have been dealt with. Maybe you come here this morning and you're struggling as a lonely person. You just feel alone. You feel like you've been abandoned. You feel like family members have hurt you and left you. You feel alone. And the gospel says that Jesus is God with us. You are never alone. And when God saved you, he gave you his presence and he gave you a people. Maybe you're here today and the question, the struggle you have is that um, you feel like the world is a terrifying place. And you're just scared to death in the world. And the gospel, even in this passage, says that the greatest evil that ever took place was something that God orchestrated and used for his glory and brought redemption through it. We don't have to be afraid of Putin or nuclear war. Those are real things. I get it. We don't have to be afraid of stock markets and anything like that. Because at the end of the day, when you know Christ, the gospel tells us that God in Christ is sovereign over it all. We, we, we come today and you, you, you are struggling with suffering, sickness, disease, and the gospel is the answer to the question because the gospel tells us that God himself and the person of Christ stepped in and suffered with you in this world. And then he suffered for you by giving his life. The gospel is the answer to every question our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so, so, spirit, you know, uh, and it is the cleansing for all sin. Even murdering the Son of God. People find forgiveness. They're, they're baptized. And so, so um, spirit, the, the gospel-centered people are spirit-filled, Bible-loving, Jesus preaching gospel. The gospel is what they got and what they're going to share. And, and spirit-filled people are salvation offering. And just real simple, I mean, they say, what, what do we do? Their hearts are cut to the quick. And Peter says, repent, be baptized, and you will find refreshing forgiveness of sin. You will find grace. This is shorthand in this verse for repent and believe, which is all over the scriptures. So what do we do today? What, what's our response to the gospels, gospel uh, seeking gospel-centered people. Well, if you're here today and you've never like trusted in Jesus, the answer, believe it or not, is to repent and believe the gospel. Turn, repent. This word repent means I'm going one way and I turn and I don't just go a different direction. I turn to Christ. I turn from my own sin, my self-salvation experiment, my, my attempt to save me, and I turn to Jesus. And, and so if you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If this journey of faith is a weird idea, we offer Jesus. He loves you. He's for you. Turn from yourself. Turn from your sin. Turn from your attempts to save yourself and run to Jesus. We would love to have a conversation about what that means. At the end of the service, we'll have people down here by this door over here behind this speaker cluster who would love to have a 
conversation. We'd love to pray with you about what it means to turn from yourself and believe in Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. If you are a follower of Jesus and you, you have come to Christ, what is your response? You know what? It's the same thing. Repent, which means we all have issues that we are struggling with. We all have places where we are following our own way. We all have exalted ourselves in places this week. And I need to be weekly reminded that the gospel is enough, that Christ is sufficient, and I need to turn and believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus, what he did for me. We want to be gospel-centered people. That's the goal. 3,000 people are saved this day. The church is born. And every church comes after it. And we are, by extension, a continuation of that story. Now, what happens next? Well, I mean, there's 3,000 people. What are they going to do? And where, where are they going to church? Like, they don't have a building. Where are they going to go to church? And, and that's a lot of people to baptize. How'd they pull that off? That's a crazy thing, right? And, and what sort of things does the church get involved with? Here's what we're going to do next week. Same Acts time, same Acts channel. Next week, we're going to show you how the gospel birthed the church, creates a gospel-shaped people. And that's what Acts, the rest of Acts 2 is about. That the gospel that birthed the church is the gospel that shapes people. But this morning, I want us as a people to be reminded. We are all about Jesus. And we want to be a gospel-centered church. Which means that my hope for you is that you are a gospel-centered person. That you love Jesus with everything that you are. And that we as a community of faith will have one message. And we will center everything we are and everything we do around that message. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. Praise you for the gospel. Praise you for the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. Shape us this morning, even as we sing here in just a minute, shape us in the gospel. Help us see your beauty and sing your beauty. And as we sing the gospel, as we've heard the gospel, help us respond by turning like we all, like the next few minutes, we all have places where repentance is needed. Help us turn from myself and run to you. Help us see the beauty of this message. And that the gospel is a simple message today, but its implications are profound and limitless. And I just pray, Lord, that we would look to you today. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you right now, will you move in their heart and make their spirit alive so that they would run to you? And for all of us, help us live with gospel-centered lives and, and lead us to see the gospel as the hope for our neighbors and the people who live in the world around us. Thank you for the birth of the church in Jerusalem and for how you have birthed so many churches around the world. In your name I pray, amen.